as a reminder, Easter is a season, not a day. Our resurrection ponderings and practices continue. This is the fifth week of Easter. It's a spotlight on inclusion, and I'm going to read it. It is Acts 11, the first 18 verses, so listen along. The apostles and the community in Judea heard that Gentiles, too, had accepted the word of God. As a result, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, some of the Jewish believers took issue with him. So, you have been visiting the Gentiles and eating with them, have you? They said. Peter then explained the whole affair to them step by step from the beginning. One day, when I was in the town of Joppa, I fell into a trance while at prayer, and I had a vision of something like a big sheet being lent down from heaven by its four corners. This sheet came quite close to me. I watched it intently and saw in it all sorts of animals and wild beasts, everything possible that could walk, crawl, or fly. Then I heard a voice that said to me, Now, Peter, make your sacrifice and eat. I replied, I can't, my God. Nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And a second time, a voice spoke from heaven, Don't call profane what God has made clean. This happened three times. Then the sheet and what was in it was drawn up to heaven again. Just at that moment, three couriers stopped at the house where we were staying. They had been sent from Caesarea to fetch me, and the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about returning with them. These six believers came with me as well as we entered Cornelius's house. He told us he had seen an angel standing in the house who had said, send messages to Joppa and bring back Simon, known as Peter. He has a message for you that will save you and your entire household. I had hardly begun to speak when the Holy Spirit came down on them in the same way she came down on us in the beginning. And I remembered what Christ had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I realized then that God was giving them the same gift that had been given to us when we came to believe in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And who am I to stand in God's way? This account satisfied them, and they gave glory to God, saying, God has granted the repentance that leads to life, even to Gentiles. We hear the voice of God in these words. Thanks be to God. Who am I to stand in God's way? To hinder Imago Day at work in another. Who are we to believe that spirit only speaks to those with whom we agree? Today's text reveals otherwise. It shows spirit at work in the most unexpected places and within the most unexpected people. It shows Imago Dei at work in others. We talk about Imago Dei a lot here. We made in God's image. God's spirit in each one of us, divine presence within you and within me. This is level one, inclusion, a foundational element of our following and belonging to God because God is an inclusive God and our work of inclusion 
must begin with our own willingness to accept ourselves. What if this is what it meant to be confident? What if confidence was a deep inner knowing of our own Imago Dei? I think we would discover there are a lot less confident people than it seems. Many of us probably practice this belonging to self a whole lot less than we even realize. Or maybe you do realize it. Maybe you have noticed that the tendency has been towards self-denial, self-neglect, unkindness toward ourselves emotionally, mentally, physically. But what happens when we let this fly and then we merge it with our faith journeys is that our own voices and instincts, spirit of God actively at work within us gets stifled, gets lost as we search for God's voice apart from ourselves, outside of ourselves. We compartmentalize us and God, separating ourselves from divine presence, constantly trying to figure out, is it us? Is it me? Or is it God? But God's spirit is within us, and we are made in God's image. And each of our unique identities bears proof of it. And so how can we know the God who speaks directly into our lives, offering guidance and clarity and love, if we do not know ourselves, love ourselves, belong to ourselves? When we seek God apart from who we are, or despite of who we are, we will only find someone else's version of God, someone else's perspective, someone else's interpretation or theological framework. And I'm saying, sure, in good health, learn and listen and evolve and expand, be informed by the sojourners and the pilgrims around you. But at the end of the day, you must do the work of belonging to yourself. Because God dwells within you, and it is God, and this inclusive God needs inclusion to flourish in your own heart, first and foremost. It's crucial. Your self-love is sacred work. It is the embodiment of Imago Dei, and I'm here to say that even the most seemingly confident people regularly neglect tending to this work. And I have a hunch that this is why people get stuck with what comes next in true Imago Dei work. To borrow from our Hindu friends, it is namaste. The divine in me recognizing and honoring the divine in you. The embodiment of Imago Dei in its truest form will always result in an outward extension of it. It is inevitable. This is level two inclusion. Extending Imago Dei means we can recognize the unconditional belovedness in others, free from any judgments, no exceptions. This doesn't mean we're always happy with the choices of others. It doesn't mean we understand or agree with everyone. It certainly doesn't mean we're accepting of harm. Fran has said that her definition of sin is anything that impedes love, recognizing and honoring The Imago Dei in others does not mean we look away when the work of love is impeded. What it does do is change how we proceed. 
It changes how we engage the realities of our world. It's a glow up. We become people who act in groundedness instead of reacting in chaos. In short, it sharpens our lenses for liberation work. This extension of Imago Dei is a crucial part of our belonging to an inclusive God. It is what it means to extend belonging without the conditions of our own prescriptions. It's what it means, like Peter said, to get out of the way. Again, We are not letting individuals and systems off the hook here. Hell, we're not even letting ourselves off the hook. We have responsibilities. The work of making all things new is as urgent as ever. We are simply committing to remember, embody, and extend the truth of Imago Dei as we do it. And we are owning up when we need to get out of the way so that others can do the same. Okay, now... Ready to level up again? Here is inclusion level three. That basic inclusion begins with the least of these, the most vulnerable. The reason this must be prioritized is because God prioritizes it via the preferential option for the poor. This phrase, preferential option for the poor, was first articulated by the father of liberation theology, Gustavo Gutierrez, in his work, A Theology of Liberation. And it refers to the trend throughout the whole Bible of preference being given for the well-being of the poor and powerless of society over and over again in the teachings and commands of God, as well as the prophets, and of course, Jesus. In our story today, inclusion is extended to the Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? They are the others. They are the outsiders. They are the people who did not belong because of their difference in race, in creed, in status. All throughout history, we see this societal tendency to exclude based on gender, sexual orientation, race, social status, money, ability, belief. Yet, alongside this tendency in the stories of the Bible is a God who is intent to both offer and stress inclusion. In response, what we see from humans is far from collective success. If anything, we see occasional moments of getting it right temporarily. This should actually comfort us, though, because it offers a sense of solidarity as we begin to understand, and this is level four inclusion, that we will never fully arrive. It is not even about arriving. It is about our willingness to continually step into the paradox and the nuance of this work on the daily. This includes the understanding that extending inclusion to others and prioritizing the least of these is never in contradiction to our own need for inclusion. We have matured. We're healthy. Our bones and our muscles are strong. We're swimming in the deep end here. We are sitting at the grown-up table, y'all. And so we can hold space for our own healing and thriving while acknowledging that systemic realities, historical trends are still playing out and they have trickled down into our consciousness and they continue to shape our decisions and our movement in the world, becoming aware of them and committing to dismantling how they're alive within us is essential to inclusion, but it doesn't pause our healing or our thriving because our capacities have expanded and there is room within our hearts and our minds to entertain all 
these truths. This is what it means to level up. What happens when you level up in anything? Things get harder, right? The stakes get higher, yes? And so it is with the work of inclusion as well. And it is evidenced in today's reading. We look at Peter. He is the rock of the church. And he receives a message of inclusion three times. Remember the last time he received a message in threes? It was at the marker of Jesus's impending death. And it concerned his own denial of associating with the radically inclusive Christ. He lived through the pain of that lesson. He learned from it. And now he receives another sign yet again three times. The rock of the church receives this urgent message directly from the voice of God, and it's clearly intended to be passed on in these early days of shaping this movement that becomes Christianity. Inclusion as its marker, inclusion as its foundation, inclusion as a part of the church's ongoing work, inclusion is really, really important because we belong to an inclusive God. And yet, is the church known for being inclusive in our day? Is it known for empowering Imago Dei, spirit potentially at work within each of us, no prerequisites required? I think we know the answer to this. Perhaps we cannot single-handedly change the reputation or the reality of the church universal as it relates to the work of inclusion, but we can certainly adjust our own participation, and in fact, we must. I think about our queer friends with pride coming up. Perhaps you are even listening now, friend. I think about the trauma you have endured because churches and church leaders and church people have found your existence, your Imago Dei in its fullness, a threat to their own belief systems, in fear that their own faith paradigms will crumble, in fear that their own belonging will be jeopardized, in fear of their own eternal outcome, they neglected the true work of their own Imago Dei in favor of micromanaging yours. Sadly, this is just one example of how the church forces its heavy-handed ideologies onto entire communities. And I have to wonder, each of us do, how do our own personal tendencies to do this play out in our lives? Whose Imago Dei do we seek to control today? And where do we need to get out of the way? In doing so, could we retire our scarcity mindsets where God is small and divine resources are limited, where everything around us is a threat and because of this creativity and beauty are stifled? I think we can. I think we can do this with a little help from humility and generosity. So if we take anything practical from this moment today, may we turn our attention to the cultivation of humility. This is not the humility many of us were taught, where it's all about self-denial and self-neglect at any cost. No, this is the superpower of non-judgment. It is the ability to observe without transferring our own experiences or feelings onto others. We need humility to keep the humanity of others in view. To remember that trauma and scarcity has touched us all in one way or another. We need this humility 
May we cultivate it and may this humility instill in us a generosity, the desire that all of us make the shift into abundant healing and wholeness, into the fullness of our Mago Day. Indeed, we cannot practice inclusion without a generous and humble spirit. And we need it. We need it because real inclusion is more than a trend. It is more than a virtue signal. It's not some script we're given that we mindlessly follow. Because of this, because we are committed to staying consistent, true inclusion is a risk to our own sense of belonging. It is really, really hard. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure I've ever seen it done. But I like what I see in today's reading. It gives me some hope. When God spoke to Peter, Peter wasn't like, all right, cool, let's do this. No, Peter was resistant to inclusion again and again. At first, he was unwilling to break with his tradition, with the doctrine he was brought up with and how that shaped who was included. Go back and read the text. Peter wasn't just unwilling. He was quite literally disgusted by the thought of it. He heard the message straight from God and still the rules and the people pleasing and the subconscious habits that had been instilled within him were initially more important. And yet Peter ultimately made the shift and the means by which he was empowered still rings true for us today. He did it in collaboration with others. Spirit actively at work in him ultimately revealed spirit actively at work with everyone else. He was led to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, where they had already received their own vision. Peter didn't bring them a word or a vision. They already had their own access via their own Imago Dei. Peter wasn't their savior or their source of inspiration. The text even says before he had hardly even spoken, spirit was given to them. So this was not his doing. And humility and generosity All Peter did was get out of the way. He was a bystander, a witness to it all, and then eventually a collaborator. They pieced together their stories, and in collaboration, they made an impact on the movement. Inclusion, a marker and foundation of the church, ordained by God, verified by several, and put into practice in community. This is the secret to the sustainability of our heaven on earth work. It begins with us recognizing the Imago Dei in ourselves and extending that belief outside of ourselves consistently. When we can practice inclusion within ourselves through our self-love, our self-acceptance, and our embrace of Imago Dei, then we cannot unsee it in others. And the practice of inclusion outside ourselves becomes more intuitive and sustainable, the natural result of a radically changed posture in the world. When this happens, we begin to see God differently too. No longer the scary, trauma-inducing, deny yourself, shrink yourself, God we were given. No, we can finally understand and visualize that we belong to an inclusive, loving God. And so it is with the spirit of this inclusive God within us and among us that we move toward the impossible, radical inclusion as defined by the Christ agenda. We do this in collaboration with one another, compelled and energized to make actionable change in this world. As we do it, may we go in peace and may we get out of the way whenever necessary. Amen.